You might want to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 10. We're going to spend some time there, the latter part of that chapter, verses 38 to 42. Uh, I want you to picture in your mind this scene that is played out in this scripture. Jesus and his disciples have entered the town of Bethany. Bethany is just a small town. It's two miles east of Jerusalem. Uh, Jesus and his disciples, they have entered into the home of Martha and her sister Mary. Now keep in mind, these two ladies have a brother whose name is Lazarus. We're going to hear more about Lazarus in these weeks to come. He's not mentioned in this particular passage of Scripture. We don't know if he was at this meal or not. If he was there, Luke is totally silent about that. The sisters' plan was to feed Jesus and his disciples. And that was to be quite an undertaking for them. I don't know if you've ever had the assignment of feeding 13 hungry men. uh, But in doing so, that would be no small task. And I want you to imagine with me all of the busyness of the preparation that would have been taking place. They are working on this together, Mary and Martha. And I'm, I'm reading into the text a little bit, but I don't think I'm too far off. And that is this. Martha was a type A personality. You know, she was a red. And she would have had Mary all lined out in what she was supposed to do. The table needed to be set. The floor needed to be vacuumed. The furniture needed dusted. The bathrooms needed cleaned. The windows needed washed. And and you look deep into the text, I'm sure you will find those things there. Uh, We are imagining this. This This is what's going on. They are preparing their home. They are preparing a meal for Jesus, whom they love. And not only does this this initial preparation need to take place, but there's also the, the preparation for the meal itself. The drinks need to be made. The water is on the stove, almost coming to a boil. Rice is ready to be put into the water. Uh, the bread is in the oven. The gravy is being made. And the chi- there's chunks of chicken that are going to go into this, this uh, gravy. Are you getting hungry? Uh, I mean, this, this is quite a meal that they are putting on for Jesus and his disciples. Green beans are on the stove and and they're getting warm. Maybe there's some applesauce that that is to be put into a bowl. And I know, I know there's a coconut cream pie somewhere. (laughs) It's in the refrigerator. And Jesus was a coconut cream pie kind of guy. And all of this preparation that's going on for this meal, there's dishes that are piling up and they need to be washed. And Martha has this plan that's step by step by step that she and Mary are supposed to be taking care of this plan and her plan is about to go haywire. For when Jesus and his disciples arrive, the disciples, they all sit down at Jesus' feet and he begins to teach them. And I suppose this is Jesus knowing that, that he's just got six months left before he's to be put to death, and he's not going to waste any moment that he has with his disciples. He has a few moments here before the meal is to be ready and served, and so he begins to teach them, and guess who joins them? Mary does. 
Mary lays down her kitchen towel and she goes over to the feet of Jesus and she squeezes in amongst the disciples. She sits down and she begins to listen as Jesus is teaching. And Martha, her sister, just can't believe it. She begins a slow boil. How could Mary, or how, how could Mary forsake me? You know, there's things to do here in the kitchen. How, she's left me all alone. And, and so she keeps looking over there to where Mary is at. And she's trying to get Mary's attention. And Mary is just totally oblivious to her. She has her eyes and her ears tuned into Jesus. She's listening to him teach. And so she begins to clang the pots and pans together to make some noise. Thinking, surely, Mary will turn around and look and, and she can motion to her to get back here in the kitchen. And that doesn't work because Mary's listening to Jesus. And so probably, I, I'm, I'm imagining this in my mind, Martha begins to <coughs> clear her throat and cough and thinking, surely Mary will hear that and she'll turn and they can connect and Martha can tell her what she needs to be doing. But Mary doesn't give any attention to Martha. She's got her eyes and her ears on Jesus. And so Martha starts pacing the floor and she's trying to get done in the kitchen what needs to be done, but she can hardly get past this fact that her sister has abandoned her. It's so irresponsible of her. It's so inconsiderate. And her temperature is just rising by the moment. And finally, she just throws her towel down on the kitchen cabinet. And she stomps over to Jesus. And she says, would you tell my sister to come back into the kitchen and help me out? She has left me alone to do the meal. I need her help. And she is just mad. Her tone of voice, the look on her face, her body language, she is not happy. And it's interesting to see Jesus' response to her at this moment. Verses 41 and 42 of, of Luke chapter 10, he says, Martha... You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. And just that fast, Jesus brings down the level of intensity several notches simply because he doesn't respond back to Martha the way she has responded to him. He's remained gentle and calm. And I'm quite sure that Martha went from a boil to a simmer. And isn't that the teaching that we have in, Mar in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1? A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And if we could just remember this truth. It would help us in our own personal relationships. If at home your spouse gets irritated with you and he or she raises 
the level of intensity they raise their voice at you. Just remember Proverbs 15 verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And if you kids could remember that, if when your sibling comes to you and they're upset with you and they're wanting to pick a fight with you and they are raising the level of intensity in the conversation, they are accusing you, remember Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Be good if we remember that at work, too. If our boss or one of our co-workers, they turn up the intensity of the conversation, just remember, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It would be nice if the, these athletes that we see on TV would remember this, wouldn't it? Because how often do we see this happen? Nearly every game that we watch, there's a point in the game where somebody gets upset with another and they say something and then the other person has to answer them back and and they raise the level of intensity and there is this crescendo that takes place and before you know it, they're toe-to-toe and they're nose-to-nose and there is a fight that is about to happen If only they could remember the truth of Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Well, Martha comes to Jesus with steam rolling off of her about her sister, and Jesus just calms her down. He gently says to her, Martha, Martha, settle down. And before he's finished talking, I'm sure her level of anger has come down several notches. For just a few moments, I want us to look here at this story out of Luke chapter 10 and see what we can learn from it. First of all, I want us to look at Mary. Verse 39 says that Mary was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. I get the idea that Mary was very interested in what Jesus had to say. She was hungry for his words. This last Tuesday, our senior group from church took a little bus trip to Hume, Missouri. How many of you have ever been through Hume, Missouri? Let me see your hands. Okay, several of you have, the big town of Hume. Uh, There is a little mom-and-pop restaurant there. It's a pretty good place to eat. I was hungry as I was going there. I was just thinking in my mind, I'm I'm kind of hungry for a good cheeseburger today and fries. And so when the menu came to me, I'm looking for a cheeseburger and fries, and I found it. It was a double cheeseburger and fries, and I ordered it. And when the waitress brought that plate to me of food, that sandwich was so big, I could hardly get my mouth around it. But I managed. And it was good. I devoured it. And I'm thinking, what if? This this was my thinking a day or two later. What if we had that kind of hunger for the Word of God? I wish we did. 
God's word brings life to us, says the prophet Ezekiel. Maybe you remember chapter 37 of Ezekiel's book. He receives a vision from God. The vision is that of a valley full of dry bones. Human bones laying everywhere across this valley. Every kind of human bone was there. And, and the Lord says to Ezekiel, as he's looking across this valley, can these bones live? And, and I'm sure Ezekiel's kind of looking around and he, he says, only you know the answer to that, Lord. I mean, in, in his own mind, I'm, I'm thinking Ezekiel's feeling like uh, there's, it doesn't look very hopeful. But you know, Lord, whether these bones can live again. The, and then God said to the prophet, you preach. And you say to these bones, O oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so Ezekiel did what God told him to do. He began to preach. And, and he's preaching away, and, and, and I'm thinking there's, it, it was probably like some churches that maybe we've been in. It's kind of dead. Because all he was preaching to was dry bones. And there was no response to the preaching, no response to the Word of God. But he's being faithful in what God has told him to do. He's preaching the Word of the Lord, and all of a sudden over here there's a little rattle. And a bone starts to rattle here. And then over on this side of the valley, here's another noise. And there's a rattling of the bones here. And before long, there is rattling noises all around. And the bones are coming to life. And the foot bone is connected to the leg bone. And you've heard that song, the leg bone's connected to the hip bone. And, and before long, there is, there is life that is coming to that valley, he has entire skeletons dancing around and muscles are forming and tendons are forming and Ezekiel keeps on preaching and before it's all over, he has an entire army that is alive and giving praise to God. The Word of God can bring life to us. And we need to hear that message. If God's word can bring life to a valley full of dry bones, it can bring life to you and to me if we will get into this book and if we will read it and study it and devour it. Did you know that God's word can bring to you joy? Jeremiah 15, 16 says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. This book, if you get it into your heart and into your life, it will bring joy to you. It will bring hope to you, says Romans 15, 4. It will bring peace to you, says Psalms 119, verse 165. Let me read that verse to you. It says this, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. Isn't that a great promise for us that God's word brings peace to us I was thinking of a conversation I had with my brother-in-law Dave this last week he and his wife Kathy have just gone through a, a really difficult trial in their life recently and Cindy and I have been trying to connect with them and keep in touch with them and just encourage them through this trial and I called him middle of the week I said hey how you doing 
You know what his answer was? He said, we're doing pretty good. We have a whole boatload of God's peace in our lives. How does that happen? When you're going through maybe the worst trial of your entire life, and you can actually say that you have peace amidst the trial, how does that happen? I'll tell you how it happens. It happens as we hold on to the truth of this book, that we let this book into our heart and our life, and we're hanging on to the promises that we are reading, that He is not going to forsake us, that He will always be there for us, that He will provide for us, and He will take even the worst of situations, and He can work good from them. That's His promise, and that's how we have peace amidst the storms of life. This book will give to you God's peace if you'll get into the book. This book brings revival to us, says Psalms 119.50. It brings comfort to us. It brings wisdom and, and guidance for how we are to live our life. This book, if we get into it, it will bring revelation to us of who God is. Why would we not want to be in this book? Why would we not want to devour its contents? It is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. It's more precious to us than gold or silver, says the psalmist. It's sweeter than honey. It's the truth. And we must be like Mary, who went straight to Jesus, and she sat at his feet, and she listened to him speak the word of truth. Could I give to you some suggestions on how to become a better listener to God's word? Just One, just get into the book every day. Get into the habit that, that every single day you open God's Word and you see what He has to say to you. You understand this is His book and He has a message for you. He has a message for you. And so just open your ears and open your heart to what He has to say to you. Number two... Pray for him to reveal his truth to you. Ask him to open your ears and your heart to the message that he wants to give to you. How about this? Number three, put away the distractions that would keep you from hearing God's word. We'll talk a little bit more about distractions here in a few minutes as we talk about Mary's sister, Martha. It says of Martha that she was distracted with other things. So it was hard for her to hear the Word of God because she was distracted. We need to put away the distractions so that we can hear what God has to say to us. We need to find a place and, and find a time that minimizes our distractions. How about this, number four? Put away sin and die to this world's voice. The world's voice is opposed to God's voice. A few weeks ago, it was a Friday night. I was home with my wife, Cindy. We were watching uh, a show in the 9 o'clock hour, Blue Bloods. And usually that show is, in my mind, it's, it's a pretty clean show. It's a, it's a decent show. And it's one that we watch from time to time. And uh, this particular show, though, on that night, 
It was Hollywood's tool just to preach their agenda to try and brainwash us into thinking that homosexuality is an acceptable lifestyle and men pretending to be women, that's, that's okay. And so there we sat. It, it was obvious what they were trying to do, the message for the evening. And so I just said to Cindy, hey, let's just shut this off. We don't need to hear this. And that's what we did. The more dead we are to the world's voice, the more alive we can be to God's voice. Now think with me. We're trying to hear God's voice. And if we've got the world's voice coming in this ear and it's loud, and then it's just like a lot of chaos, isn't it? It's hard to hear either voice. Especially God's voice. Just last night, my sister and, and her husband, Stan, they're, they're visiting us for the weekend. And, and uh, we were sitting around, and, and as the evening wore on, we turned the TV on. We were watching the Olympics. I don't remember what event was going on at the time. But uh, Stan and I, we were more clued to the, to the Olympics. And Debbie and, and uh, Cindy were sitting on the couch, and I think Debbie was wanting to show something to Cindy on the computer, and uh, it had a voice to it. And so over here, there's this computer going on and a voice in my left ear, and I'm trying to hear what's going on on the Olympics on the TV. You know what? I didn't hear anything except noise and chaos. And when we have the world's voice here, And God's voice here, it's awfully hard to hear God's voice. And so I'm saying, you want to be a good listener to the voice of God? Turn down the voice of the world. Die to the voice of the world. So that you can get God's voice clear in your mind. How about this? Number five. Determined to be more than just a hearer of God's Word. Determined to be a doer of God's Word. When you read this book, see if there isn't something there that you can take away from what you have read. For instance, just this morning, Psalms 86 that Dusty had us read together. An emphasis given to the mercy of God and God's love and God's grace. How about as we read that passage in our mind or we're looking at it, we're reading it. How about just, Lord, I praise you for your mercy. I praise you for your grace and your love. I praise you that you're one who wants me to cry out to you. As you're reading the passage of Scripture before you for that day, is there something there that you can pull out of that passage and hang on to and give prayer to the Lord about? Is there something that you can do with that passage? Maybe you can help someone else with that passage, the truth that you're learning from it. Here just recently, I was writing a couple of uh, some letters to some people that are incarcerated and I've, I've got a group of guys that I meet with weekly, and we learn memory verses together. And I'm, I, as I was writing those letters, I'm thinking, Let me, I'll just share a memory verse with one of those, uh, these people that I'm writing to. And it, it was so 
fitting. It was Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. It says, I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And so I, I said to them in this letter, let me just share with you a verse that I've memorized lately. It's encouraged me. Maybe it'll encourage you. You know what? Not only did that help that person who was receiving the letter, I'm trusting that it did, but it helps me because I'm, I'm reemphasizing that truth in my own mind as I share it with somebody else. So look for an opportunity to be a doer of God's Word, not just a hearer. How about this, number six? When you come here to church on a Sunday, why don't you come ready to listen, ready to pay attention to what God has to say to you through the message? That's, that's the attitude that we need to come with. Because really, it's not... It's not me speaking, it's not Dusty speaking, it's God, and this is what we want, this is what we pray for, is that God would speak through through us. And that as you are hearing the word spoken from this stage, this podium, that it would be God's word being spoken to you. In fact, Paul alluded to that in in 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he says this, For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God, which which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So could I encourage you, as you're, you're wanting to be a better listener to the word of God, just as you come on a Sunday morning, come with an attitude of, I want to hear what God has to say today. Through Kevin, through Dustin, through Caleb, through my Sunday school teacher. It very well could be the message that God has intended for you to hear. We need to be like Mary, who will go to the feet of Jesus and just listen to him. Let me give to you a second point here as we just simply look at her sister, Martha. Okay, we've looked at Mary. She's one sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And then there's Martha. She's distracted. Verse 40 says that she was distracted with all of her preparations. When she went to Jesus to complain about her sister abandoning her, Jesus said, Martha... You are so worried and bothered about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Think with me for a moment. It isn't that Martha was doing something bad, it's just that Mary was doing something better. Martha was giving attention to fixing Jesus a meal. That was a very good thing for her to do, but she was missing out on the Word of God being spoken. And keep in mind, Jesus was only going to be around for just a few months more. And here she has the opportunity to sit at the feet of the Master, but instead she's washing dishes and cooking rice. Now let me read to you 
What Lawrence Richards writes in his book, it's, this book is entitled Bible Background Commentary. I've not ever read from this book to you uh, in this series of sermons, but it's a, it's a pretty good, interesting book. He's writing on this subject of Mary and Martha, and he's, he's talking about priorities. Let me read quote to you. It is clear that the incident contrasts priorities. Mary's priority was listening to and responding to Jesus. Martha's way was to immerse herself in service. Surely the message of the story is clear. Our relationship with Jesus, our desire to spend time with Jesus and listen to his word is to take priority even over loving service. The warning here is clear as well. Unless we give relationship priority, the loving service we now provide may well deteriorate into the sterile religion of the priest and the Levite of the Good Samaritan story. You remember last week we talked about the Good Samaritan. We talked about the priest and the Levite, their religion. They had the motion, but they didn't have the heart. And what we need to be able to keep from that happening in our life is we need this relationship with God to take priority. And then our service to God is given to him because I have a relationship with him. And another way to put that is this. Being is more important than doing. Just let that sink in. For a moment. Being is more important than doing. If we get the being right, then the doing is going to be a natural byproduct of that. But how many times do we forsake the relationship because we are so busy doing for Him? And you know what He's saying? In amidst all of our busyness and our running here and there and we're doing things for Him, good things even, what I think He would like to say to us is, hold on, slow down. I want a relationship with you. I want to know you. You need to know me. Would you, would you just come and sit at my feet for a while and be still? Would you be silent And know that I am God. We are distracted by so many things. And oftentimes they're good things. But those good things cannot take the place of the the best thing. And preachers deal with this. What good is my sermon preparation if I don't know Him? What good is my making a hospital call on someone and visiting them if I don't know Him? What good is it for me to go to the nursing home and sit with someone and talk with them if I don't know Him? Now, yeah, there's, there's good things that could come from those, those incidents. That my going to the hospital, that person could be encouraged. My going to the nursing home, that person can be lifted up. But the priority is, I need to know Him first. And then, out of that relationship, 
becomes service that is fruitful and glorifying to him. That's Mary and Martha. Now what else do we know about them? I'm coming to the close of the sermon, but I I just got to share with you, each of these ladies show up again in Scripture. And it's encouraging to see what's going on in their lives. First of all, let me tell you about Martha. She shows up again in John chapter 11. You remember what happens in John chapter 11? Jesus raises their brother, Lazarus, from the dead. But even before the resurrection of Lazarus, Martha makes a confession of who she believes Jesus to be. Verse 27, she says, Lord, I have believed that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And keep in mind, that is a very similar confession as what we read in Matthew 16 of Peter as he confesses his faith in Jesus. And we give Peter all of the accolades for his confession. We should give Martha some accolades too because she had come to the same conclusion as what Peter had, that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Oh, how did she come to that conclusion? I think maybe over these next six months, Martha has heard the instruction of Jesus. And she takes his word to heart, and she takes some time, and she sits at Jesus' feet in the days to come, and she becomes absolutely convinced of who he is. He's the Son of God. And she's not ashamed to confess it. And then there's Mary. Oh, my. You remember what Mary did? John chapter 12? Six days. Six days before the Passover. Keep in mind, the Passover lasts for seven days. And so we are about 13 days out at this point before Jesus is crucified, and they show up at Mary and Martha's house again, Jesus does. And this time, Lazarus is there. Lazarus has just been raised from the dead, and they're all sitting around the table. They're just having a good old time. They're eating. You remember, they eat differently in in these early days than what we do. Uh, I mentioned Debbie and Stan... Uh, visiting us last night, we sat down at the table, and just like you, when you sit down at the table, you got your feet underneath, underneath the table. You're sitting in a chair, and boy, you're just shoveling it in. That that isn't how they ate in the in the days of Jesus. The table in the days of Jesus, we we're told, was about probably two foot off of the ground, and they would recline at the table. So. They're laying on their left elbow with their chest up against the table. They've got their elbow on a, on a pillow. And this is how they're all eat. They're eating with their right hand. That frees their right hand. They're eating off of the table with their right hand as they recline up on a pillow. And where are their feet? 
their feet are behind them. And as they're eating, Mary comes up behind Jesus and she takes a jar of very expensive perfume, the scripture says, and she pours it out, anointing the feet of Jesus. And she gets down then with her hair and she wipes his feet with her hair. Unadulterated worship. Sincere, pure, sacrificial worship. Sacrificial because it was a very expensive jar of perfume. You read on there in John chapter 12, it says that the jar of perfume was at the cost of a year's worth of wages. Why did she do that? In fact, it got some of the disciples riled up at her. Why did she just waste a year's worth of wages? And Jesus gets those guys' attention and he says, you stop bickering at her because she has just prepared me for burial. She has anointed me and she's prepared me for burial. Does that mean that Mary knew exactly what was about to happen to Jesus? I don't know that she knew everything that was about to happen, but I'm thinking that Mary was a student of the Word of God and she was accustomed to hearing God's voice. And when she heard God's prompting in her heart and ear to anoint Jesus with a year's worth of wages, perfume, she obeyed. And she was blessed. And she will be forever remembered for what she did. I just, I want to encourage you to be one who sits at Jesus' feet for the purpose of listening to him. And if you will do that, you will not be disappointed. Let's pray again. I thank you, God, that you give us that opportunity to hear your voice, to have your word accessible to us. Help us to listen. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.